and they were like, oh, what's your podcast? And I was like, it's called Lady History, and it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so since we, we trashed on Elwing 13 in that one episode, um, our, our number one hater. Yeah. So when I was at dinner with my friend, he had not heard that episode yet. So I told him this, and he's like, it was a man, right? And I'm like, I mean, I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> Just that with that. That just made me think of how we have a hater. It's exactly what it sounds like. Why was the hater not? Why was, well, what were you expecting? I think of that hater more often than I should. And the conclusion is always the same. Like I, I came up with the name and I literally thought Alana just wrote a description that she wants a podcast about lady and history. So what did I tell them? Lady history. I did exactly the assignment. Exactly the assignment. Can you imagine if our podcast was called something else? No. No, I don't want to think about that. I can't believe it wasn't taken because with how many women's history podcasts there are, like we got the best name. We do have the best name. No tea, no shade to all our podcast friends on Instagram that we've done like exchanges with in the ads. You're cool, but. You're so cool, but like you missed out on the best name. You missed out. (laughs) This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, are trans rights human rights? Absolutely. And Haley, are trans rights human rights? For fuck's sake, of course they are. And I'm Alana, and trans rights are human rights. Mic drop. Mic drop. There we go. So anyway, I was talking to my mom a long time ago. Sorry, mom, that I'm going to bring you up again in not the most flattering light. But I was like, trans women are women trans men are men and she was like but then how do you i don't even remember what got us started on the topic of this when the conversation initially occurred like i don't want to put words in her mouth but it was like but what about women like cis women she did not use the word cis she didn't say anything like bad or with malintent just a little bit like you know she's a white suburban mom there's a very specific kind of liberal of white suburban mom. My mom oh, is yeah. a white suburban mom. I've got one. Mom. Yeah, sure. She's <laughs> um, over there. <laughs> out into my home. We, we love them and they have a lot to learn and they kind of want to. Um, they do their best. But I was like, the distinction is not between trans women and women. It's like the umbrella is women. This is obviously a very like not very nuanced take or description, but it's like the umbrella is women. So it's not trans women versus women. I mean, not versus, but you know what I mean? Right. It's not trans women versus women. It's trans women versus cis women who all fall under the umbrella of women. So it's not like. And maybe non-binary people who choose to identify with the term women. I've seen people who are like, I am a they, them, but I am a woman. And that's chill too. You get to be under the umbrella. That's how I feel. This Welcome to the umbrella. (laughs) Welcome to the umbrella. So that's how I feel is, uh, uh someone was talking about how their mom instead of saying a woman or whatever is like oh that person's a she they and the the person who relayed that information to me was like i kind of hate that i was like i don't i kind of like see it. why you would i kind of like that i always say like people person are humans right but if you're trying to describe someone's gender i kind of right. am just like yeah i i don't hate I don't hate just doing the pronouns. 
but then what how about like they use any pronoun they they are use any pronouns i can't it's not uh, a perfect system it's, it's absolutely not a perfect system <laughs> but but neither my... is is like but neither no, is the situation perfect. of like right. they're a man they're a woman yeah they're that, a yeah, non but like it's not a it's not a perfect system nothing is a perfect system but i think the bottom line is that we should be using humanizing languages yeah or humanizing uh ways of expressing ourselves mm-hmm. that's like why be respectful out there kiddos yeah that's what like wraps my head in this of like bottom line is this language that I'm using today humanizing for who I'm talking about because I know in five years the language is going to be different new terms language changes about absolutely Lexi story time so I have a preface and I feel like we talk about this all the time we talk about terms and history and gender and sexuality and history all the time on this show terms all over the place and they change but in case this is your first episode lucy lived before the term transgender was used to define people who are like her and she only ever referred to herself with the word like a woman she is a woman so i tried my best to respect that in my telling of her story however i do at times use the term transgender in explaining her legacy especially towards the end of my notes because that's the modern term i believe most suits how she identified and i believe if it is a term that like if she was alive, she would use it today. Queer history terminology can be super confusing, so bear with me and uh, thank you very much. And I think that's a good blanket <laughs> statement for a lot of things on this show. Because yeah. sometimes I'm like, Mine's I don't know very if, they similar. Would, if they would use this word if they were alive. Like, who knows? Nope, that's how that's being how historians is so complicated. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a rough job, but someone has to do it. The buffet supper as a whole is designed as a simple meal which can be eaten simply. Since the guests will carry their food to another room, the service is made as simple as possible. A single hot dish is offered and kept warm in a casserole. It may be a meat pie, macaroni and cheese, or whatever you prefer. It should be substantial, but it need not be expensive. The object is to offer your guests something fairly hearty, but still a food that doesn't require a knife or cutting, for they will not be seated at a table. Lucy Hicks Anderson was born in Kentucky in 1886, and upon the suggestion of a doctor, Lucy's mother was accepting of her desire to wear dresses to school and live as a girl. So when people are like, that's not traditional, or that's not how we used to do things, fuck them. It was the 1880s, and they were like, yes, raise your daughter as a daughter. After leaving home, Lucy moved to California and married a man named Clarence. Lucy worked as a hostess and a chef, in private homes of California's wealthiest uh, families. So she would host parties and be like the party organizer for these rich people, which is kind of fun job. Her culinary reputation helped her secure a steady income. And Lucy kind of dreamed of being an independent businesswoman. So she saved up her money until she could afford to purchase her own property where she could run a business. She used her new place to open a boarding house and brothel. Plus she did this all during the prohibition, which is pretty badass. And Lucy was also like really well regarded in her community and considered a philanthropist who gave back to local organizations like scouting organizations and the Red Cross. So she was really well known in her community. And in this one book about the history of her town that I saw, there's like a cute little picture of her riding on a sled with two little boys. And like, so in the community, the kids loved her, the parents loved her, everyone in her town loved her. Very, very cute. And she basically used her like really amazing reputation 
among the community to get away with doing things that were illegal at the time, like selling alcohol. So not something we would see today is like, oh my gosh, that's illegal, but something that like was illegal at the time because of prohibition. In 1929, Lucy divorced Clarence, and that's kind of the only thing about Clarence you need to know. That's it. That's all Clarence does. He comes in and he leaves. In the time of World War II, Lucy was known for throwing really elaborate farewell parties for local soldiers, uh, which really kept up the spirits in her community as they were seeing like their sons and fathers and brothers go off. And she supported local families after they lost loved ones in the war, and she purchased many war bonds to support the Allied forces. So she made sure a lot of her money was supporting the troops because she really cared about the soldiers that were coming from her hometown. In 1944, she was married a second time, this time to a man named Reuben, a U.S. Army soldier from New York. In 1945, a group of men from the Navy experienced an outbreak of an STD. They claimed it originated at Lucy's bra. Whether it did or not, who knows? That is lost to history. But they basically blamed Lucy's brothel. They're like, we all went there and we got this STD. So they kind of pushed the blame on her. Every employee at Lucy's business was forced to undergo testing, including Lucy. So not just um, you know, her employees, but also her. It was at this time that the doctors realized that Lucy was assigned male at birth and revealed this information publicly without her consent. Very nice of them. Thank you so much, shitty doctors. Um, what about that, like, doctor-patient? What is that? There's the confidentiality. Confidentiality, HIPAA. Where is, did that not exist yet? Like, do we know when HIPAA started? G- give me a moment. Okay, thank you. Look that up for me. Because what the hell, guys? Like, you, you can't just... Act of 1996. Well, never mind. <laughs> this was very pre-HIPAA, but thank God we have HIPAA now, so this can't happen to someone because this is very not chill, my dudes. Well, it, it can happen because people can be shit. But people can be shit. That is there true. There are laws protecting. Women be hummus, people be shit. So, unfortunately, because this became, like, very public information and she was so well-regarded in her community and everyone knew who she was, Lucy and her husband were charged with perjury based on the grounds that it was illegal for two men, in quotes, I'm, I'm doing quotes because obviously Lucy's a woman, but legally... They said, oh, two men can't be married. And so they went to court and they wanted to defend their marriage and like prove like that they were a man and a woman and that they should be allowed to be married because blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like also a man and a man should be allowed to be married, but that's only slightly relevant to the situation. And trans people should be allowed to marry whoever they want. Anyway, just putting that in there in case you didn't know. (laughs) In case you didn't know, people should be allowed to to get married. So they went to court to defend their marriage. And in her testimony, Lucy said this quote that I really, I think is pretty badass. I defy any doctor in the world to prove that I am not a woman. I have lived, dressed, and acted just like what I am, a woman. And that's a great quote that sums up who she is because she was like, I don't care what other people think. I'm a woman, you know? And she lived her life the way she wanted to live her life. And she was like, you can say what you want, but I'm a woman. The couple lost their trial and they were sentenced to 10 years of probation each. But far worse than that, Lucy was additionally convicted of, quote, impersonating a woman, unquote. And her sentencing included restrictions on her attire that would forbid her from wearing dresses and force her to dress like a man, which is really not okay because we should be affirming everyone's gender identities, not forcing them to dress in a way that makes them uncomfortable and makes them feel bad about their bodies. That's like not cool. So like let people wear dresses. And then because she had collected allotment checks as a wife of an active soldier, she and her husband were also charged by the federal government with fraud. And Lucy and her husband were convicted of this charge and sent to prison. And intentionally, they were separated and sent to different prisons, which is super, super duper shitty. 
And, you know, of course, at this time, Lucy had to serve in men's prison, which is not very chill, not very cool. Uh, still an ongoing issue today. I was very about relevant. to say that's still that's still, still a problem. So it's been going on for a really long time and we got to do better. So after the sentence ended, the couple was barred from returning to the city in California. Like, even though she was this well-regarded, beloved person, she used to host an Easter egg hunt and she donated to the Red Cross and all these things. They were like, no, you can never come back. We don't want you here. And so they relocated to Los Angeles and they lived there until 1954 when Lucy passed away. And they lived there as a happy couple. Despite all the stuff they went through, they were still together as a couple. And so there's at least that little silver lining that her and her husband like made it through and were able to still be together. And Lucy is remembered as the first woman to fight in court for trans marriage rights. So that's a very cool thing for Lucy to be. Really interesting how this is one of the first American like legal in multiple ways, specifically the re- restrictions on her marriage, restrictions on her attire. This is one of the first legal cases where, um, you know, a trans person was fighting for their human rights. And so that's why Lucy is interesting to remember. And I tried to make sure I didn't include any further learning sources or like written sources with Lucy's dead name. She never publicly actually shared that information herself. It's something people like found out after she died and shared, which is not chill, man. But if I missed it in one of my sources or if it's in a source that I thought otherwise had like information that was really, really good, I'd apologize in advance. And I feel like Lucy is a really underappreciated and underrepresented Black businesswoman in both queer history and women's history. So I'm very happy that I got to talk about her to you all today. And HBO actually made a mini series on LGBT history that included her as one of the characters, I guess is the wrong word, because it's real history. Like it's a historical fiction and she's in it as one of the people that's featured. Yeah, it features her story. So yeah, I have not seen it yet personally, although I do have HBO Max. So I'm excited. I'm probably going to go find it, but I just found out about it at the end of my research. So I haven't had time to go watch it. And I have lots of further learning and YouTubes. So I apologize in advance to both Alana and Haley, but if you are looking to learn more about Lucy Hex, there's actually a really amazing video. And it's the, the reason I found out about her called um, We've Been Here from the, uh, a YouTube channel called We've Been Here that does like queer history that shows that like queer people have existed. They didn't just come out of nowhere. And their video on Lucy is like better than anything I could ever do or say. You should definitely go check it out. Lights, camera, action. It's time for another living lady. And today it's April Ashley's turn, former Vogue model. And special shout out to the Museum of Liverpool, April Ashley herself, because of the exhibit, April Ashley Portrait of a Lady. And this was on display in September 2013 to March 2015. Also, we love anything that uses lady in the title. So Portrait of a Lady. Clearly, yeah. We we love to see that. I wonder why we're lady history. Honestly, I would not be able to guess. Also, continuing the shout outs, the April Ashley Heritage Project, which is associated with Homotopia, the International Festival of Queer Arts and Culture, and all the interviews she's done. So check out the YouTube playlist. I'd like to make a note there. I cannot tell like Lexi said last episode where language is always different and we talked about that briefly. So a lot of the museum sources use her dead name also in 
the interviews. She is interviewing, she is saying lovely things, but then parts will be about her dead name and it's not great. And I had a moment of, oh, is this 2013, 2015 language that hasn't evolved? But I also just think like, no, let's just not use anyone's dead name. So I apologize for that if you're actually on the museum or on the show's playlist and that comes up. So the exhibition highlights the life of BME. Dyslexia just rocked my brain. Her title is MBE. I call my mother BME for best mom ever. This is MBE, which is member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Very fancy title. April's very public life of being like a high profile actress, model, especially like for Vogue. Those pictures are amazing. Check out the show notes and are highlighted in the exhibition. And life at Le Carousel de Paris, which is a club. Uh, I did my best with my limited French. And it attracted stars such as Ginger Rogers and Rex Harrison. And April toured all around Europe with the club. But also, her being just so famous is kind of marked with some not great stuff, i.e. personal information that April didn't publicly want to get out there. One being her gender affirmation surgery. I couldn't find like details saying April never wanted this to be out in the open because on the one hand, it talks about like articles in the exhibit talk about her gender affirmation surgery, but also interviews. April is openly talking about the surgery as well. And she was one of the first people to receive gender affirmation surgery in, I think, the 60s, early 60s, late 50s. And being outed by the Sunday People newspaper in 1961. So shame on you, Sunday People newspaper. And a very public divorce, which is the case Corbett versus Corbett. I kind of want to do an episode about like ladies with high profile cases surrounding them. Cause now I'm thinking of like Lexi's and now like Corbett versus Corbett. Like I could do a whole kind of thing about that. Basically what happened. Yeah. So basically what happened, just a little snippet is that April was married to a guy. His name is pointless because he basically was like, ah, like I married a man. Side note. She is not a man. So I should have a divorce because that's not legal. And then like brought the case and very convoluted. I may be getting this all wrong because it's not like a big part of the story, but much like Lexi's story, the case dwindled down to people saying she wasn't a woman. So therefore what would be a gay marriage isn't legal. And one gay marriage is legal too. She's a woman. So all of that is also highlighted in exhibition and private archives, never before publicly seen information, photographs, interviews were put on display in this exhibition. And the exhibition also educates the wider impact of changing social and legal conditions in regards to gender and identity from 1935 to today. So snaps for that. I love to see museum exhibitions on one person, but then connecting it to like the wider, broader story to have like more personal in-depth connections. I could go hours for that, maybe a Patreon episode. The last part of the exhibition or what I can tell from what they've posted online is that 
other campaigning work April has done in the name of her true gender recognition, because that's a whole part of her past is that being recognized as a woman. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, she lobbied and wrote to then current Prime Minister Tony Blair and the Lord Chancellor. Remember, we're in the UK, not the US. And the campaign wasn't just to benefit her, but all trans people saying that, hey, we are humans. We were assigned something differently at birth. And we want like our information to recognize who we are today. And in 2005, the Gender Recognition Act of 2004 was passed, which means April was freaking finally able to be recognized as female and was even issued a new birth certificate. She even said, quote, 45 years and four months after I became the woman I wanted to be, I had a piece of paper to prove I really am April Ashley. I feel free at last, end quote. And in 2012, she was appointed the member of the Order of the British Empire, the MBE that I mentioned earlier, for her help in trans equality and being a continuous inspiration that she just is for people everywhere. So obviously today I am covering a trans woman and thus I am not going to dead name her, but a couple of my sources do. So if you simply have to know because you're a horrible person, you can go look. But I hope I have successfully guilted you out of it. But also shout out to uh, Women in the American Story, which is part of the New York Historical Society. I've used them as a source uh, and they do not use this woman's dead name at all. We love to see it. Uh, so that is my primary source. I've used them in like in a couple of other stories, but this was like a really good move for them. We love to see it. Christine Jorgensen was born May 30th, 1926, a Gemini, just like Haley, in the Bronx, New York, which I think, Haley, where were you born? I was born in White Plains Hospital, but lived in Yonkers. Right. So you're like, this very is kind close. of a local lady I'm very, for you. Like, I'm very excited for this story. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, as a child and teenager, Christine was very effeminate and other children and teenagers made fun of her for that. And as a result, she kept mostly to herself. Uh, she also referred to herself as a, quote, woman trapped in a man's body, uh, which is a phrase that has gained kind of a lot of traction when talking about trans experiences today, uh, which is not always the best thing, but that is how she felt. Christine graduated high school in 1945. She tried to enlist in the U.S. Army, but was denied because she was so small. But that didn't even end up mattering because a few months later she was drafted anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, the whole world was at war. You might even call it a world war. Uh, even in her army days, Christine kept to herself. In her adolescence, she had started developing crushes on boys, and homosexual soldiers could be dishonorably discharged or court-martialed or even serve prison time. But Christine really wanted to fit in because she wanted acceptance, sure, don't we all? Uh, and she wanted to make her parents proud. She didn't actually serve in a combat role, remember she was too skinny, so she just did clerical work. Even after the war ended, she managed discharged soldiers until she herself was honorably discharged in 1946. With her military career over, Christine had kind of lost direction. She went to photography school in New Haven, Connecticut for a bit, dental assistant school in New York City for a bit. And then in 1950, Christine traveled to Denmark. She had family there, so no one would know the true purpose of her visit to meet a man named Dr. Christian Hamburger, aka in and out Do you get it? Because In-N-Out makes hamburgers, but also they have some like weird Christian kind of overtures. Anyway. 
So Dr. In-N-Out started Christine on an early version of what we would call hormone replacement therapy or HRT. And over the course of the next three years, Christine would have a total of six operations that my sources call, quote, sex reassignment surgeries or sex change surgeries. But I really like the term gender affirming surgeries. I think that's what's like gaining traction and like more widespread use now. And I think that that is much more accurate. So I'm going to call them gender affirming surgeries. And I think everyone should too. It's like so much more accurate. It really is. It and truly less, is. like crude isn't quite the right word, but like it's less obnoxious. <laughs> and Christine actually chose to name herself Christine after her doctor. And those are the stories that I love. Like, I don't really give a fuck about what trans people's dead names are. What I want to know is how trans people picked their real names. Cause I just think that's really interesting. Like I, I love stories like that, even for like people who still use the names that they were given. Like, I love knowing like, oh, how did your parents pick that name or whatever? So anyway, I do want to know. I love I love knowing those things, but I don't care about dead names. Berate did I ever me. tell you why my parents named me Haley? Didn't they want like a good English name or something? Yeah, but it's like because even to juicier go with, than that. They like- To go with Kosrashahi. Yeah, but like <laughs> they picked Haley for a specific reason. Oh my God, why did they pick Haley? I'm named Cut after content. Kelly Ripa's All My Children character. Oh my God, I love that. I feel like he told me that once. I feel like- It's like, my like, when I have to do an icebreaker- Shout out to our Patreon. I say like two truths and a lie. I was named after Kelly Ripa's All My Children character. And she was a drug addict. And I was like, mom, <laughs> like why? Like drug addict is like, they're fine. They're great. Like they're de- dealing with a disease. And my mom's point was she went to rehab and was a very strong woman. And I, I agree, 100% yeah. agree, but still. Yeah. That was her association with my name. Anyways, so Christine intended for her transition to remain private, you know, HIPAA and all that, or like we were talking about with Lexi's story. But in 1952, someone blabbed to the press and it became international news. On December 1st, 1952, the New York Daily News, which was Christine's hometown newspaper, ran the headline, XGI becomes blonde beauty, which you know what? That sucks. And that's horrible. And that's rude. But like, I guess there's a compliment in there. It's sort of like one of those backhanded compliments, but at least they didn't say she was ugly. When Christine, upon her return to the U.S. in 1953, was met at the airport with a gaggle of paparazzi, uh, she called the response too much, but later realized that this was a way for her to control the narrative around her transition and around her, her process. In response to nasty jokes and rude people, Christine choreographed a nightclub routine with an original song called I Enjoy Being a Girl, and she performed that for a while. In 1959, Christine was engaged to a man named Howard Knox. However, the city of New York denied them a marriage license because, similar to Lexi's story, Christine's birth certificate listed her as male and same-sex marriage wasn't legal yet. For what it's worth, it wouldn't be for over 55 more years. And throughout her later life, Christine gave lectures and interviews about being transgender, like right at the birth of the trans rights movement. So like she was trans right when like that was kind of becoming not more popular, but like more well-known and more visible. Unfortunately, Christine died of cancer on May 4th, 1989, just a few weeks before turning 63. 
In one of her final interviews, she said, quote, what people still don't understand is that the important thing is identity. You don't transition for sexual reasons. You do it because of who you are. The end. That's a beautiful quote. Repeat. Isn't that a beautiful quote? I thought it was like a nice way to, to end the episode, too. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. And Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're continuing our pride bones with more gay ladies, as Alana just put it in my head. Gaties. Gaties? Ooh, gaties. With more gaties. Thanks for coming to Gaty History. <laughs> oh, we should have changed it on Spotify. We should have been like, this is Gaty History. You know how like corporations do those horrible pride logos? We should have just <laughs> <laughs> put a G over the L and like a scurvy font.